And how well did you help that player on his first day of practice? Did you make him carry your equipment or did you set him up for success and you take care of him, let him eat first at our team dinners, um, you know, w- warm up with him the proper way instead of just letting him warm up with another freshman or teach them the right way to do things. Because if you don't do that, he's going to be in that moment on the mound or at the plate or get a ground ball hit to him that you need him to make that play. So how well did our that our older guys, that our leaders help prepare that guy for that moment from the start to the end of the season? And as a coach, you know, you, you can sit here and say, well, we didn't have a good year because we had bad leadership. Well, I think that's on the coach. Actually physically have a conversation with every single player on the team because you never know what they're going through. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I hope you're off to a great start to the 2023-24 school year, assuming you're listening to this somewhat close to release time. I am really happy, really excited that you've chosen to learn alongside me as we all kind of try to become just a little bit better at this whole coaching thing. Thank you so much for choosing to click play on this episode. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've sponsored the High School Coaches Club for years, literally. And if you need any facility improvements, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic, wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. Even a sport that you might just make up out of thin air. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. Not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. And before I get too far, an extra big thank you again to Will Miner, not just for being a sponsor through Netting Pros, but a couple weeks ago, I had a Netting Pros shirt. I finally, I've kind of run through them doing field work and I shot him a quick email. Hey man, can I get some some new Netting Pros shirts, one or two? He sent me a huge collection of them. I've already been putting them to use doing tons and tons of field work over at our baseball field. And so just an extra big thank you to Will again. In this episode, I'm joined by a man who spent the last 18 years as the head baseball coach at Oxford High School in Alabama. As it turns out, just a few weeks after we sat down to record this very conversation, he stepped down from his head coaching duties to become Oxford High School's supervisor of safety, operations, and athletics. And that sounds really important because it is. There's a lot to glean from him, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 88 with Wes Brooks. All right, Wes Brooks, thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. I'm glad to share um, our our conversation and thoughts to other coaches across the country and also looking forward to learning from guys that you've had uh, already on your podcast. Uh, Great things you're doing, Max, and I appreciate you uh, willing to do this to to help grow the game to the youth all the way up to your, uh, you know, your older level coaches. So thank you. I appreciate it. One of the coolest things about doing this over the last few years has been, 
you know, obviously it's, it's cool that other coaches get to learn a lot and, and, you know, get a lot from the conversations, but like for me, selfishly, it's been awesome because I've been able to coach or, or talk to a lot of the best coaches around the country. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've followed you for quite a while and, you know, at Oxford, you guys have amazing facilities and the program has been just awesome over the last three years. You guys have just won an ungodly amount of games and 30 plus wins each last three years. Your senior class ends up capping it off with a, a state championship and going like undefeated in the last two months of the season, just kind of cruising through stuff. Uh, what did this mean to you guys and, and what's that senior class mean to you as you have a chance to reflect over the last month or two? So, so yeah, so back in 2012, we had a really, really good, talented team and we were fortunate enough to win a state championship in 2012. And then I followed those seniors. We had a really good senior class then as well. We had 13 seniors, as a matter of fact, that year. I followed those guys over the next couple of years and, and half of those guys, um, you know, uh, they were not going down the, the, the right path of life that mm-hmm. you would like for those guys to do, you know, especially after, you know, being mentors in, in high school and role models and going on to college and playing and, and a couple of them still playing professionally. And so in 2014, I just decided to take a different approach as far as coaching goes and focus on the man, the the person, the player and if I can, if I can focus on getting a better man, I know I'm going to get a better baseball player in return as a byproduct of that. So, it took a couple of years to install some new things as far as you know whether it was uh, leadership, uh, the mental game, um, just overall you know classroom development, uh, you know social development, uh, you know weight room, you know the whole nine yards, nutrition. Um, just showing them that it's not just when they cross the line uh, do they need to perform for me as a baseball player, but, you know, perform for themselves in the game of life as well. So um, it was a couple years after that, uh, our 2016 team was the next team that kind of, I started seeing the rewards of focusing on the man and, instead of just the player. And um, obviously the pandemic hit a few years later, 2018, we had another solid run and, the pandemic happened and it gave us some time to do some zoom calls when we couldn't mm-hmm. actually physically meet in person um, to kind of talk about more about being the best version of ourselves um, and knowing that it's a, it's in your DNA. It, it becomes their way of life as opposed to just being the best baseball player we can be and slacking in the classroom and the weight room and so on. But over the last three years, you yeah, had 30 wins uh, each year. And I really do think this senior class, they were, you know, in the sixth grade and seventh grade when we started implementing this, you know, we, we have seven through 12 in our school and I'm over our middle school program as well. And we do like a, uh, like a leadership course, you know, seventh, eighth and ninth grade and then emerging leaders as sophomores and then uh, the actual leadership course as a junior and senior. And I really think that has a lot to do with the kids understanding their purpose on how to be a great teammate, how to handle failure. And once you get talent along with all of those other things together, um, and you can just sit back and make out a lineup and let those players win the game for you. And probably my biggest coaching plus this year was getting out of their way and let them perform at the level that they can perform because a coach can only do like a coach can't get out there and be in the thick of it, be in the jungle, so to speak with them. So you have to put them in environments and, and, 
and allow them to thrive in those in competitive environments. And I, and I really do think uh, by our coaching staff getting out of the players' way because they were doing things the right way, they were competing at a high level, and, and we just tried to stay out of their way as much as possible. And obviously that was – uh, you know, a, a, a big determining factor of letting our guys win it on the field themselves. And, and it, then you feel like you have more of an accomplishment. And a lot of guys, you know, they'll, they'll get an offer to a school or maybe sign a scholarship or maybe even get drafted. And they think the work stops. But we got three of our guys, four of our guys, matter of fact, that are now that just graduated and they're at the Florida Baseball Armory. Uh, down in Florida, you know, trying to work to get better at their craft so that they can go in as freshmen and uh, and be able to compete for a position. Did this come about organically? You mentioned that you had that 2014 team, and then over the next couple of years, you're kind of watching them do things. Is it is it something that you organically kind of created yourself? Were these courses, or not courses, but were these ideas, things you read about in terms of trying to uh, build better men? Like, how did you, you saw the problem, you you saw where you wanted to be. What was that process like from, from filling okay. the in-between of what you're actually going to do? So, so there was a, there was a leadership thing and it was called leadership VIP with, um, John Gordon, Brian Kane, um, a lot of, a lot of successful leaders, you know, like Tom Brady and, you know, Nick Saban and, and a lot of people were commenting in that leadership VIP course. It was just a book and it was, a you know, some, some DVDs and, um, so I just kind of, you know, went along with the book. And then the next year in 2015, uh, I, I let our senior players kind of go through that with me. And then in 2016, I let the seniors kind of teach it to the class. And that was the, I think that was the game changer is once the older guys knew it, then instead of me boring Coach Brooks standing up in front of a <laughs> classroom teaching that material to the kids, the actual older guys on the team was sharing real life stories. So they would read like a, an article, uh, a chapter, uh, play a video, uh, maybe even on a phone call with, with, with a, with a guy from whether it's long beach state dirt bags or, um, the success hotline, but Dr. Rob Gilbert or some sort of recording or a coach that, that is successful in our state or in our region. And then they would talk about the real life story of how that how they feel that applies to them or, hey, the, the, the take home, the number one take home for me is this. And they get up in front of the room and they stumble through their words and, and it's flat and the kids laugh and it's funny, but it's it's they can relate to each other better than I can. Obviously, you know, I share some real life stories myself going through you know, the things that I went through, but it means much more when they can share that with a teammate. Um, and our principal, Heath Harmon, our athletic director, Larry Davidson, and our school system allowed me to purchase some of these materials to help our players become better men, to have like some sort of curriculum to follow each day, whether it's a 20-minute lesson in the classroom each day or an overnight camp out that we do each year. Um, you know, having a mission, vision, principle, core values, um, having our one word focus for the year, having a hashtag for the year, having, you know, whether it's a Bible verse or in, in high school kids, uh, when they, if I tell the kids what these things are going to be, they're really not 
going to follow them unless they're just around me. But if the kids vote on it and they develop a mission and develop, you know, some core values and define those in that classroom, then whether we have a lot of success or if we fail, we can go back to that mission, vision, principles, core values and say, hey, we did not have good discipline as far as two strike discipline today, if discipline was one of our words for the year. Or, um, you know, we didn't hold ourselves accountable to uh, to being a great teammate to, to, you know, to help our brother out because maybe our name wasn't in the lineup. And so talking through those things uh, became like a staple in our program and that 20-minute classroom meeting prior to going out to the field each day is something that I'll do forever. Um, and that's and the amount of stress that a teenager goes through in, in life, whether it's social media presence or or just the making the team or or travel ball uh, stats or you know just the amount of stress these kids go through today is much more than when we were in school. And 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 I'll tell our coaching staff guys if we go two or three days without helping these boys become men and talking about you know, how to treat females, how to open the doors for, for teachers, you know, picking up trash in the dugout and um, just being, and, and being conscious about your teammates in the weight room of making sure those young guys aren't skipping reps and, and just all of those things together. If we go three or four days without talking about it, the next thing you know, we've got a problem that we got to deal with that if we would have continued those classroom meetings, we could have had these problems off, you know, before they got to being major problems. And, and and we were seeing rewards. Uh, we were we were having sixteen assistant coaches on the field every day. We got we got thirty seven guys at practice, and sixteen juniors and seniors are being sixteen coaches, sixteen leaders too. And it just creates an environment that guys tend to thrive. And you know, you think about all the seasons. Every coach that's listening to this podcast, you think about every season that you've ever had, and the last out was made or the last inning you had a freshman or a sophomore to come in in a three-game series or in a spot that you were like, man, is this guy really prepared? <laughs> so when you present that to your older players, that you're going to have to rely on this freshman or sophomore in that crucial moment of the year, and how well did you help that player on his first day of practice? Did you make him carry your equipment, or did you set him up for success and you take care of him let him eat first at our team dinners, um, you know, w- warm up with him the proper way instead of just letting him warm up with another freshman or teach them the right way to do things. Because if you don't do that, he's going to be in that moment on the mound or at the plate or get a ground ball hit to him that you need him to make that play. So how well did our, that our older guys that our leaders help prepare that guy for that moment from the start to the end of the season. And as a coach, you know, you, you can sit here and say, well, we didn't have a good year because we had bad leadership. Well, I think that's on the coach. A lot, of, a lot of your coaches out there think leadership just emerges and it just happens. Well, I think it's our duty to build leaders uh, while we're coaching these men, whether it's on the field or not, or 10 years down the road being a better husband, father, or boss. Um, I think it's our duty, and I think it's on us. If we sit here and say that we, we had a bad season this year because we didn't have any leadership, well, it start the buck, you know, the buck stops here. It starts with the head coach to make your assistant coaches to help them and encourage them to grow and become better coaches and better leaders. 
Um, and we take a lot of pride that in our program too. We've had a lot of our coaches go on to be head coaches at other places. And then also teaching our coaches to help these guys be, be better leaders. And, and like you said, being organic about it. And, um, we, I went about it the wrong way at the beginning. I, I, I kind of forcing things on them. We're making them read handouts and making them do assignments. Whereas now I just, I just, I'm a resource and our coaches are resources and we kind of put them in environments, whether it's like a team building activity, uh, you know, in a spelling bee in a classroom, just something as simple as that, or playing tic-tac-toe or just tug of war at the end of the day and just seeing which guys become leaders, you know, uh, probably the biggest moment of of our players' career is is our team camp out that we do prior to the season, and the the amount of speakers, the leadership, you know, uh, the community uh, guys, whether it's a banker or a doctor or a policeman, come in and talk to our guys. Uh, we we try to get some sort of leader in the community to talk to our team in those meetings on Monday. Um, on Wednesday, we have a spiritual leader come in, whether it's a fellowship of Christian athletes, uh, uh, a guy come in and talk to our guys. Wisdom Wednesday is what we call it. And then uh, Friday, we have Friday 5 to where we'll have some sort of police officer or state trooper uh, to come in and talk to our guys and not dress up like the – just like dress in regular clothes. And, <laughs> and and that way, it's it's setting them avenues up down the road when they graduate to maybe go interview with that organization or that company um just and to develop relationships and and you know as coaches we're more open now we we call it where are you at wednesday and find out friday i got that from butch chaffin a really good friend of mine mm-hmm. at Cookville high school in tennessee um to just be open to players because players need to hear you talk you know jeremy shootinger uh said it best uh georgia gwinnett um about he uses that batting practice time to walk around and actually physically have a conversation with every single player on the team because you never know what they're going through. And when you can develop those relationships and they know that you care, because players, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And once they know and trust that you really got their best interests at heart, they will run through brick walls and they will do things that their their level of ability, you know, that they'll exceed that expectation for you if you can show them that you just will go the extra mile for them, whether it's, you know, having a dinner at their, at their house or just kind of talking through life with them. Once they realize that, that they can trust you. um, I I think players go the extra mile and it's just, it's meaningful. Like each out of each inning of each, and each pitch has a history and a life of its own. And those kids tend to max out for you. And then they tend to max out for themselves. And, and, you know, with the NIL stuff and all, they're building their brand. Starting as freshmen in high school, these kids are building their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to carry them and, and be successful down, you know, and we don't even have to talk about, you know, what they post on social media anymore. They understand and they get it. They're, they're just selling the brand of themselves of who they're going to become down the road. So I think our coaching staff has done a good job with mapping that out for them. It's funny you mentioned that part of it because I – I was thinking about how, you know, you mentioned when we were in high school, uh, we didn't have to, we didn't have the stresses that a lot of these kids have now and, uh, and not nearly the amount they have for sure. And one of the things I've always thought about is like how lucky I am and many of us are that social media didn't exist, at least not in the way that it does now, uh, because I'm sure many of us would have posted things that 
didn't seem harmless at the time, but then you know how life is now. You can pull up someone's tweet from you know twelve years ago and get them fired for it and all this stuff. And so we're just in this weird time where uh, kids are are constantly being judged, and you could do some things and do some big damage to yourself. Not only getting jobs and stuff, but like you're saying, even nil stuff and little things like that. Like you're always building your brand. And so I, I, I used to ask coaches when I first started doing this podcast explicitly, I'd always ask them about, hey, how do you build leadership? Like, what does that look like? And I ended up stop asking it specifically after a while, unless I knew it was a coach who was good at it, because I'd get a lot of coaches who were like, well, I don't really, I don't really do much about leadership. Like, I think you just, you're the leader, you're not. And it was like, ooh, and it became really awkward because like you can absolutely teach kids to be leaders and you just have to kind of equip them with it. Um, and so it's really interesting that in our conversation, like the, like the first thing you go to is just, no, I'm trying to build a better person, a better mm-hmm. leader, better human. I think it's a, I think it's really refreshing. I think it's good for coaches to understand that it is 100% in our realm of, uh, of responsibility to help our people be better leaders by the time they walk out the door. Yeah. So, um, I highly encourage every coach that listens to this, um, get a circle of other high school coaches, mm-hmm. get a circle of those guys and con- form a group text, um, get in a group me with, with some local guys that have situations that go on every day like yours. Like for example, uh, I, I'm, I think I'm in one of the best groups of coaches, a, a inner circle of coaches, uh, in the country. Um, you know, if I've got a player that, that doesn't show up to practice and, and it's his third time, then I'm going to call on, you know, Eric Borba out, out at Orange mm-hmm. Lutheran to see if he's been in that. So Brian Madsen um, at St. Joseph, uh, Butch Ch- you know, Chuck Box at Texas A&M, uh, Dave Webb uh, out in Corona Del Sol uh, in Arizona, Troy Gerlach, uh, uh, R.J. Farrell, Steve Denham and Tanner Vesley, those guys that – different parts of the country, I guarantee you they've had a, a same uh, situation going on in their mm-hmm. program, and they probably had it happen three times. And they said, Wes, I did this and I did that, and that was the wrong way to go about it. But when I let that player do X, Y, Z and kind of show him, you know, that worked out best for me. So now i got two or three different ways that I can address it for my environment in Oxford, and I can pick and choose because what works – for these guys in their program might not work for mine, but at least I can hear what Jeff Sherman does. Uh, you know, when he has a, a parent that wants to talk about certain things and, and how he handles that. And it just gives you a different perspective of, okay, wow, that was good. That was a good conversation that you guys had. And that's the, that's the angle that I'm going to approach this parent. You know, if I've got a problem that comes up or whatever. So I, I highly encourage you know, I just talked with Scott Brackett yesterday from Gadsden High School. He was my hitting coach for two or three years in, you know, 2019, 2020. And now he's a head coach at Gadsden City. And he's in our area. But we just set up a date to go and talk baseball so that we can just be a better version of ourselves as head coaches. No matter if we're, you know, yes, when, when the first pitch is made, you know, I'm going to try to crush his team and he's going try to try to crush my team. But – when the last out is made, we're going to love each other up. And that teaches kids on how to treat umpires. That teaches kids on how to treat other opponents, um, how coaches need to treat other coaches. Yeah, we're going to compete our tails off against each other, and we're going to fight for our guys. But outside of that first and last pitch, you know, we're going to be 
um, the best version of ourselves because people are looking at our reaction and our response. Um, and who we are as baseball coaches doesn't define us. It's who we are on, on, on Tuesday practice. It's who we are on Saturday morning when a player, you know, it goes over four Friday night. You know, it's who we are on Sunday when we get up and serve our Lord and Savior. You know, it's who we are the other six days out of the week and we don't, when we don't have a game. Um, I think that defines us as, as a husband and a father. Um, but that's the example that these kids need to see us in another environment. I got two daughters, Sawyer's 18 and Skylar's 13. And they've been in our locker room, in our dugout, at practice, at games. They're they're the they're leaders, uh, you know. They're head diamond dolls. Um, that they have, uh, you know, um, theme nights for our team, and they work at the first pitch dinner. And I would, if I had an environment that I didn't feel comfortable, my two teenage daughters hanging out with, that would bother me as a head coach. So I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves as coaches. You know, some of us in here don't have daughters, which I do. But are you proud of the way the conversations that go on in the locker room and in the dugout and makes you proud as a human or as the leader, an ultimate leader of your program so that you can allow your two daughters to come in the dugout and not worry one second about the things that they're going to hear or say or, or see happen? So I think that's that's a big deal. Um, and then and then back along with building the player's brand. Um that just gives you another another reason to talk about these other things that matter. Because once you get on those draft boards, once you get to the top 50 or the top 100, whether it's making a national team, once you get to that point, all those players are good. Every player is good. Well, what separates the player to know that we can trust him by investing $2 million uh, to this guy? The separator is what who that guy is off the field and how well he handles failure, and what type of teammate he is. He, you know, is you know Derek Jeter wasn't the best shortstop in the league when when he was playing, but he made everybody around him better, and that's what made him the captain. Um, and that's kind of that that's the type guy that we talk about becoming and wanting, and we've got to talk about it daily. We can't go three or four days without talking about some way of handling failure, being the best teammate in the country, you're the controllables, your, your effort, your energy, your hustle, your body language, your focus, your self-talk. You know, if, if we skip days, uh, you know, that's just, you know, you ask a, a guy like what, how much is leadership or how much is the mental game uh, involved in the game of baseball? And most people are going to say 50%. Well, if, if we only talk about that in 5% of our entire practice times, or we only coach through that 10% of the time, then how are we going to expect these kids to handle failure and to handle the mental part of baseball throughout the season, the highs and lows of a season, if we're not talking about that, you know, 40 to 50% of the time throughout our practices, pre-practice, post-practice, giving examples of successful men, giving examples of guys who fail. Um, you know, we had a talk about this the other day. You know, obviously we want a state championship. Well, if we don't continue to do the things that got us there in the first place, that's going to cause us to fail. What causes great organizations? I think Nick Saban does a great job of he's continuing to do the things and 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 hold the accountability, the discipline, the 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 commitment to excellence. He's kind of, he's still holding those guys to that same standard. He's not holding up those six national championship trophies. 
and thinking, oh, I can sit back in my desk and kick up my feet and just let it flow. He's got to be intentional about what they did back in 06 when he first got there to continue the level of success and keep them uh, keep them on top of that mountain that everybody's chasing. And I think that's tough to do as a coach. I think as season to season, uh, kids are different. Um, and it's and it's our job as coaches, and that's the great thing about coaching is finding out what makes this team click. But there are some absolutes that I think need to be done and talked about daily, uh, weekly, monthly to kind of keep your team in in the le- in the on the top part of what society is is bringing to them daily, uh, down to their phone from from you know their classmates and just as much exposure you know with. PBR, perfect game, and you know, USA Baseball, and, and the rankings, and I mean, these kids are under so much stress um, to be able to per, to perform and and you know be the level that they want to be. That we as coaches have have to kind of help them, guide them through, and calm out some of the things that are unnecessary, and and uh, you know lay out the the path for these kids and and allow them to be successful by us, you know, not leaving any stone unturned as far as the path for their life. And, you know, their parents are involved in that. You know, they're, I, I think as a coach, you have to involve the parents in the program. You know, they're they're a part of that kid's life. And I think it's the easy way out if a coach just says, you know, hey, I'm not having, I'm not talking to any parents. I think you have to include them because that's a, you know, I've got two girls and they're really precious to me and it would break my heart to think that they played for someone that wouldn't communicate to me and give feedback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we did an activity at our, at our parent meeting in January last year that I think is a big separator um, for us and our program is, you know, we asked them, you know, what are some goals that you want your son to achieve during the season? And they write two or three things on an index card and then we ask them, you know, what are some team goals that you would like for our team to achieve? And they write three or four things down. And and then I say, okay, flip that index card on the back. If your son doesn't achieve any of those individual goals and, your, and our team doesn't achieve any of those team goals, what type of experience do you, would you like for your son to have? And you hear things like, I'd love for them to have fun. I would love for them to get feedback. I'd love for them to get to be a, a better player next year than, than they are now. I would love to him, for them to have the, you know, the experience, you know, and they write things down. I'd love for them to get some playing time or, or whatever compared to last year, whatever they write down. But then you get the perspective of what the parent wants the kid to achieve. And the same thing, we get our players to do that same activity, you know, write down your individual goals, write down your team goals. Okay. If you don't accomplish any of those, what type of experience do you want to have? And they talk about the brotherhood and the being close and going through the highs and lows and handling failure and, you know, becoming together as a team of a group of guys who just want to fight for a victory, whatever they write down. Then you get a perspective in the angle that you want to go about that season. And it's different from year to year, but you also, you get the, you get the perspective from, from the parent and the player. And then you, you share that with your coaching staff. And then that's how you go about your practice. Um, as far as developing a good practice plan. So I think that's, that's a big uh, meeting that we have that, that parents enjoy. And, and, and us coaches, you know, we several we got three coaches that have kids in the program and, you know, they have a voice too. Sometimes they'll have to stop and not be the assistant coach, but be the parent and let me know, hey, mm-hmm. coach, these guys need a day off today. We practice 22 days in a row and, you know, we practice or play, 
you know, you know, three weeks in a row, these guys need a day off to kind of get away from the game. So that's always good to get that perspective because as coaches, we like we want to practice every day, all day long, right? I mean, I one of the best things their gifts I ever got was the first couple of years as a head coach because I, you know, obviously want to coach or want to practice every day. And, you know, and we had a an older retired guy on our staff who one of those dudes just just awesome did it for free, just wanted to be around and help. And he was kind of like my, and I didn't have kids at the time either. So he was like my de facto parent slash reality perspective guy. And so anytime we'd, he'd be that guy for me that was like, Hey, they need it. They need a minute. Like they need a break. Uh, Or like, here's, here's how parents are probably perceiving what you're doing right now. Like, here's something you might consider. Uh, And I think having, I think as a, coach having the humility to let your and make sure your other coaches know that they're welcome and they should step up and say things like that to you like it's so important because otherwise like you said man we can get we can get really out of control because we 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 see the value and the importance of what we're doing and we and we love it but we also need that other person around us who's willing to tell us hey man like you need to pull back a little bit yeah we 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 all i always designate one coach to always question me like coach (laughs) why And I do it, but I don't need 10 coaches. I need, I need the, I need three or four coaches, like giving me affirmation that, Hey, that was a great decision. That's what I would have done. But I need that one guy to constant challenge me because if somebody's not challenging me and get my brain thinking about maybe there's a better way we can go about doing this situation with this bunk covers first and third. um, I've got to have that growth mindset. Like how can we do this better? And is there a better way for this type of player? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've changed over the last, you know, 10 years. You know, like we used to have this first and third play or this month coverage. At the end of the day, get the ball to your best athlete. Get the ball mm-hmm. to Derek Jeter and let him run down that guy and let him make the great throw. Don't don't just go by the textbook, uh, you know, the old Ron Pope textbook and oh, give yeah. it up to the first baseman and let him throw it here or whatever. No, get it in the hands of your best athlete on the field and let him – be an athlete and there's no baseball rules that apply and he's just going to get out. And we do have a priority system, whether it's the runner at third's priority or the runner at first is priority or whatever, and just let that shortstop or whoever, you know, that best athlete is and get him the baseball. And I promise you, he's going to get you an out somehow, some way. The, the parent idea you had too, I, I think it, it might've been Butch that told it to me. Uh, but I, as you're telling it, the, the card, the index card where, you know, kind of yeah. personal team goals on one side and then parent goals on the other. We did that uh, for the first time a couple of years ago and we've kept doing it. And it's been really enlightening. One of the, one of my favorite ones from it that a parent wrote was on the backside. I think it was a mom. Uh, and she wrote about how her, her, her family's basically moved around for the kids whole life and the kids had a really difficult time making friendships that lasted because of course they move all the time. And so on the card, she explained that and then wrote like, for me, more important than anything on the other side of the card is that I just want them to leave this having friends period. And I was like, Oh my God. So then like you said, like that changes everything for me as a coach of like, you know, I want this guy to be really good at, you know, defense and I wanted to pitch really well this year, but also I need to make sure that, Every day I'm doing everything I can to pair him up with other kids. I need to make sure my assistant coaches know, like, we want this kid to love it here and make lifelong friends in our program and be aware of how he's feeling. And like, it, like, so you get little nuggets like that, that you'd have no idea if you were just going in there, like, let's focus on baseball today. Yeah. So um, I guess it's my 23rd year going into my 24th year. 
And the older you get, the more wisdom you have about how to do things. And I think over the past three years, we have put 90% of our practice into pitching and hitting because Mm. that happens most of the time. As a a (laughs) shortstop, you might get one or two ground balls. As an outfielder, you might get two fly balls. Um, You might have one first and third pop up in a game or one first and third pop up in two or three games. Um, Tandem relay, you know, and – and I, and I compare the practice schedules now from what we used to do. And, man, we do so much more hitting now than we've ever done before. Hitters hit. Great hitters hit. If you're in a slump, you hit your way out of it. If you're on fire, you still hit. Um, pitchers, whether it's PFP, pickoffs, flat ground, short boxes, developing pitches, pitch design, rap sotos. Um, all these things that kids have access to, you almost want to just give them the track man and, hey, that's yours. And it's like a video game. Those suckers will figure that out and they will develop a pitch that's like we call a UFO. They'll develop a pitch that helps them be the best version of themselves. We had this sidearm lefty this year. He was, and everybody has this guy. Everybody has the soft lefty in their program. It's 72 mm-hmm. to 76. Yeah. And, and that guy won us our – he won us our biggest game of the year. Um, we go to Hartzell, and, you know, he's probably our sixth or seventh guy on the depth chart, and he's more likely a middle relief or one or two inning guy. But our left-hander that started the game in game one did such a good job with their left-handed hitters. And and in mid, the middle of that game, I, I told Hayden Gallagher, I said, look, if, if we end up winning this game, I think I'm going to start you in game two. Because I think just the the thought of of them having to face another lefty, and they didn't think we had another lefty, and it was defending state champ, it was Hartsell, you know, it was game two, he, and and our lefty is going against Jack Smith, who was Arkansas commit ninety three ninety four left hander also, and uh, doggone if if our little lefty didn't we, we we took the lead in the sixth inning, and he had pitched six innings, we brought in our closer, we won third round game, and like he became a hero. And those guys have value. So I think it's really important as coaches, we explain those roles to those kids and help them be the best version of themselves in that role. So many times head coaches don't talk to players prior to the season, during the season. You know it as a coach. That guy that just missed the starting lineup as an outfielder, Mm -hmm. maybe he's the fourth outfielder, maybe he's a senior. You've got to have that conversation with him after opening day and saying, hey, you're right there. Keep grinding it out. You're going to get an opportunity. You know, just be ready. I feel your pain. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't get you in the game, but but just know that you're right there and let's keep working. Because if guys, if players get discouraged and lose hope, then you've lost them. And then, and then now they talk to another teammate in that same boat and then the dinner table talk with the parents. So you got to coach these kids through those situations. And I'll tell you what. We we had a guy named Trace Adams that did not start, did not play the first two weeks of the season. And he he was our fourth or fifth outfielder. You know, seven four, seven five in the sixty. I, I was scared to put him out there because I didn't think he could run. Um, you know, left handed hitter, uh ha- had the lowest ball exit speed average, had the lowest bat speed average. Um, just a lot of things were not working for him as far as what the numbers said. But I tell you what, we didn't measure in this guy was his heart. 
and uh, we overlooked what his heart brought to this team. And once he got that opportunity to play, he never come out come out of the lineup the whole year long. In our last series, the state championship three game series versus Spanish Fort, in in the two games, I think he got four or five hits, uh, two out RBIs, uh, red dirt balls, uh, hit a single in the state final game, stretched it into a double, was safe. Um, he was just the heartbeat of our team. Made a made a web gem of a play out in left field, um, and and none of the numbers measured that guy's heart that we were looking at. And so I think the heart is something that you can overlook. Uh, I know we brought up his name several times with Bush Chaffin, uh, which is I think he's the godfather of high school baseball. <laughs> um, you know, he talked about the the you know twenty ways the heart can be measured. And it goes through things about what that player does for the dugout and the locker room and the energy and the effort and, and the commitment to just being the best teammate in the country. That's how hard is measured on the baseball field. And, you know, um, you might have a guy that is 94 off the mound or, or, you know, hits the ball 500 foot, but can that guy be the best two strike hitter and, and be the toughest guy to strike out when with a runner on third, less than two outs. And, those things win you games. Uh, the 500-foot home runs win you the fame, but the guys who are, are willing to make an adjustment with two strikes and hit a ground ball to second base or get a squeeze bunt down or, or read a dirt ball, like those things right there in high school baseball will help you win a game. Uh, little things like that that takes zero athletic ability uh, to get a squeeze bunt down, zero athletic ability to read the catcher's mid on a dirt ball. Um you know, just those little, you know, stretching a single into a double because the guy throws it to the cutoff man or, you know, sprint on and off the field or, you know, just keep a chart, you know, in the dugout, you know, when our pitching coach needs somebody or the hitting coach needs to see the, the pitcher tendency charts and like little things like that go a long way. And if, if you, you – and you got to give those guys – as coaches, you can't get on to your players when you don't give them a chance to help us win a championship. So – like, you know, several years ago, I didn't give anything for our dugout players to do that were not in the game. And and I'd get on to them after the game like, why are you not keeping charts? Why are you not keeping a stopwatch? Why are you not looking at the number of looks that a pitcher does at second base? Now we give them those responsibilities. And we've even kind of went a step further. You know, the, the pinch hitter that we might use in late in the game, we're going to give him the pitcher tendency chart. The pinch runner that we might uh, use late in the game, we're going to – have him keep up with the break time and the number of looks and, you know, the defender, uh, we're going to give him the scouting report uh, of where the guys are hitting and, and the relievers, you know, we're going to let them sit beside us and call pitches uh, and watch us call pitches and chart the game so that they are prepared when they get to that moment. And at least when that's giving the kid the best chance of success, if we're just throw him in there and he doesn't have any of that educate education piece or that knowledge of what's going to happen, then he's two or three pitches behind, and now he's got two strikes on him, or now he missed an opportunity to take a bag. So I think it's our job as coaches to kind of – and what has helped me over the 23 years is, is this year's playoff run in the last couple of years is, man, I, I just sit in the dugout and I'm quiet and I, and I got a little desktop and we got a little table and chair, that, and I'm able to make really good decisions because I'm more calm. Um, and I let our coaches, like I let our pitching coach do the thing, I let our hitting coach do their thing, and 
And I just sit there and kind of, whether it's call pitches or run the offense from the dugout, and I'm able to see, like a spectator in the stands, you see, like, why aren't they doing this? Or why isn't he mm-hmm. still – or whatever. Like, that's what I was during this year, and I was able to make good, conscious, um, you know, calls to whereas in years past I'm pacing back and forth or I'm coaching a coaching third base box or, or you know, just talking to the next – pitcher and I'm not in the game I'm not seeing the things that can happen um from that point of view and and I'll tell you another another game changer uh we hired a female uh hitting coach uh Anna Bolton Webb is her name and she was our data and analytics and she charted every single swing of every single player in practice and then paired it up with blast motion paired it up with Repsoto and was able by the next day of practice, give me the feedback that I needed. And there were so many times during the year that she would, you know, because she was charting every day and a left-hander come in a reliever and we needed a right-handed pitch hitter off the bench. I would go to her and she would just say, well, RJ Brooks and, and uh, Forrest Heacock over the last two weeks has been the highest barrel percentage in all of our batting practice sessions. And I would have to choose one of those two. Whereas I had six hitters on the bench, she gave me the option to choose the righty or lefty and told me which one was having the most success in the recent two or three days or, or two or three weeks worth of BP. And and if you don't have that person, you know, it doesn't matter if it's male or female, but you've got to have that person that can, that can trans, translate and transfer that data to the players in a good way. And by midseason, the kids were coming out of the turtle and BP going back to her with the iPad, seeing their swing on blast motion and and being able to decipher how does that have carry over to game day and why am I, you know, topping balls or rolling over balls or why am I popping up or why am I having some swing and misses? And she's got that information right there. Plus she's got the 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 BP stats and the charts for the last two or three days, whether it's live ABs. You know, we set a level of mastery. If you're hitting off a tee, you should be 90 to 100%. You know, front toss, side toss, you know, 80 to 90%. Regular BP, your 60% mastery level. And then live ABs, you want to be 30 to 40%. So allowing those guys to understand the mastery level, you know, and I can't stress enough of what the live AB means. Try to simulate what's going to happen in the game more than you can. Once you can graduate from the tee to a moving ball, do it as much as you can. Um, and I think that that was the biggest game changer there. Uh, another game changer for us um, was also a company called Godspeed that comes in and tests our kids uh, during the fall three or four times a year. We put them through. It almost looks like an airport out on the football field. Um, they test our range of motion and all of our moving parts, whether it's arms, uh, hips, um, stuff that they do, uh, you know, like it, the PDP at USA Baseball, Godspeed comes in and puts us through, you know, 5'10", 5'60", 40s, and all these different movements, and they test our body. Then they give us the workout in a PDF format, and they show up several times throughout the year. And if I don't know that exact lift or that exact stretch or, or movement piece in the weight room, then they give me the PDF to where I can click on it, and it's them actually doing the lift, doing the movement. And if you don't have access, like, if we're going to be the best coach that we can possibly be on the field, you know, I didn't go to school to be uh, an exercise phys guy. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't take those big time classes to understand that, you know, I feel like I'm a really good baseball coach, but 
how can I get this player to move better? How can I get my first baseman to move the way he needs to move in order to perform the task on the field when it's called for? Well, my job as a head coach, I think it's a crime if I'm not out there trying to find the best ways, the new school ways of doing things in the weight room or, or, or movement piece or stretching or flexibility or speed work. Um, you know, so so we hired a, a guy, Lance Rhodes, at, at Godspeed, and he is like like our – our guys move like athletes need to move. And, and it's, it's a huge part of that is, is what Lance and those guys do at Godspeed. And, and there's, you know, Tinsley performance, uh, you know, Eric Cressy and, and what Cressy performance, you know, on the national level. And some of these companies out there are willing to, you know, test your guys and give you some information so that your guys can, you know, and the parents are sometimes blinded to that because, they want the hitting lesson and the pitching lesson and the ground ball lesson. Well, they've got to pass these tests. Their body might not – it's not necessarily a mechanical thing. It's a physical thing that their body can't get in that position that you want them to get in. And they need to fix their body so that it can move the most efficient way possible to give that kid the best chance of success. And I highly recommend you get a speed guy and a, and, and a, and a weight room and a strength and conditioning professional that knows what they're doing as a po- and plus the time that it takes for that guy to write up our workout. That's time as a head coach I can spend on having, you know, video sessions with our hitters and I can be the best head coach that I can be when I know somebody else. And you might not have the, 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 the budget to fit one of those in, but those companies will meet your needs. They can do it remotely. Um, they can just kind of do it through email. Um, you can send them video of your guys and, and, you know, that can cut the cost a little bit as far as them actually coming out to your facility and, and doing these, um, you know, three or four tests per year. And, um, and, and we're out of school, our Oxford city school system and Oxford high school, we're at a school that, that allows me to do the type of things that we do and we get the support, but it's not just something that's because we're at Oxford high school, you know, our parents do a great job of, of investing time in our program and and all I need to do is send out a message in a group me and our baseball parents or some they got to be the best in the country um and our booster club is you know um Christy Harrison Jessica Crow um you know, they Melissa Adams and Christy McCormick they just they run the show they they do the theme nights they do the diamond doll luncheons the the goodie bags and I don't think there's anything in our program that uh that that runs without a parent being involved doing the scoreboard, the PA, uh, getting the the weekly newsletters out of what's going on and schedule changes and and uh, pregame meals and postgame celebrations in our locker room and man, our our parents really do a good job. And if you give them a little bit of responsibility and just ask them, this, is there any way we can make this one percent better this year compared to last year? they'll go a million miles just to give their sons and daughters, you know, the best experience possible. And, and I, we have meetings from time to time on zoom of like, how can we make our banquets better? How can we make our first pitch dinner better next year? But also having these connections with these coaches across the country um, to figure out, you know, how can I make, uh, how can I make our, pre-practice for the state finals that, you know, when everybody, you know, not many people have the last practice of the year, but when you can sit back and talk with Adam Williams on how he does some things over in Georgia, 
Um, and he gives you ideas and then our, and then our play, like even just a t-shirt design, don't just kind of do OHS state champions, find out what other coaches around the country that have won state champions have done with their t-shirts and, and get the design that they'll remember forever. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's really all about having a growth mindset, uh, willing to say, Hey, we don't know it all as coaches. Let's get out there and find out how somebody else has done this phase of the game a little bit better than I have in the past. And let's see if we can't make it 1% better. Are you this passionate and in depth with uh, flag football too? I tell you what, um, they told us two years ago that we were going to have this flag football team. My wife called me, you know, she had played flag football in college and I got two daughters. She's like, Hey, you need to coach this um, it's your <laughs> chance, your chance and your opportunity to, to coach girl. And I tell you what, we, we do film study. Um, we do nice. uh, chalk talk. Uh, they, they know angles and leverage and containment and route reads and running routes and uh, stances and alignments and assignments. And I tell you what, it has been so refreshing for me to coach these girls. And I tell you what, it, it allowed me to have a little bit more fun with them. And mm. I coach my own kids in a different sport than baseball. And I think it helped me be a better person to be around during baseball season because before I'd show up on game day and kids were a little bit nervous around me because I would just kind of totally locked in and focus on whether it was that three hole hitter that we're going to face or what type of pickoff move this left hander has. And now I'm able to kind of relate to the kids more because my oldest daughter, Sawyer, she'd come, she's, she was our Mike linebacker and our running back and she'd come home at night and she'd say, dad, you shouldn't have made us do that at practice that you should have made us do this. And like here, those conversations from her and me being able to adapt and adjust our flag football practice helped me be a much better baseball coach. And there were times in the fall to where we would, you know, we get two hours a week to work with our players after school for baseball. So I'd have baseball on Tuesday and Thursday. It'd finish at five 30 and we'd have flag football practice at six. And those girls would be in my classroom and teaching them to become better women uh, better wives, better teachers, better bosses 10 years down the road. And that same focus, you know, allowed, our, I think, our girls to be the leaders and, and the emerging leaders that they need to be in order for us to have the best chance of success. And it was it just rolled right over into November. We made it to the state finals last year. <laughs> we played at Auburn University's field at Jordan-Hare. We got to see the eagle fly and our girls' names get called out on the Jumbotron. Uh, two years ago, we lost in the semifinals against you at Trustful. And last year, we actually lost in the finals. And then my, my oldest daughter graduated. My youngest daughter is an eighth grader. And this year, the state finals is at Bryant-Denny. So the expectation is set. My youngest daughter <laughs> is determined to win a state championship in flag football. Yeah. But just the relationships, the day-to-day -day relationships and the practices and holding them accountable and having the discipline to be the best version of themselves and just those little things, those those kids want to be coached hard. Those girls want to be coached hard, just like boys. And the kids want somebody that has some discipline to give them the opportunity. Because when they go to an interview 10 years down the road, they're not going to come in there scruffy looking. They're going to have the shirt tail tucked in, you know, where the, based upon the environment, you know, uh, casual, professional dress, tie, whatever the case may be. They're going to know that I need to be the best version of myself in that moment as opposed to walking in there, shirt tail out, shoes untied, scruffy face, you know, and just kind of saying, yeah, man, when they need to 
you know, look the guy in the eye and, and how do you shake somebody's hand the first time you meet them and that first impression and, um, you know, how to go through an interview process and talking through that in our team meetings is something that's kind of been a game changer in our program over the last three or four years. And I'll tell you what, I think the best years of our program is, is ahead of us. Um, I think the best version for myself as a coach is, a, is ahead of me. Uh, and you got to have that mindset and think that uh, to kind of keep pushing forward because it's not going to get any easier. It's only going to get harder. Now the target's on our back. Now the expectation is set. Now the the ceiling has been raised, and it's our job as coaches to get these guys to um, to exceed our expectation, uh, carry them beyond. That's the thing. That's the magic as a coach. A really good coach can get the average high school baseball player or just the average high school athlete to achieve or maybe even exceed that level, uh, exceed his ceiling at the end of the year. If you can get average high school athletes to overachieve, that's a great accomplishment as a high school coach. And, and, and another challenge that I challenge all these coaches, and it's another thing I got from Butch in Tennessee, is our, best pl- our, our worst player on our team is going to be better than your worst player. And if you have that mindset, then you coach those guys that are freshmen and sophomores and can't walk and chew gum at the same time. You coach them up just as they were they were a starter. When they get to the last line of dirt ball reads, you just don't look and, you know, look away and think of the next thing. You still coach that guy because I'm telling you, your season is going to depend on one of those guys. You know, you're going to have an extra inning, 13-inning ball game. You're going to pinch run for that first baseman in the 10th. You're going to pinch run for that backup in the 12th. And now on the 13th, you got your third string first baseman starting. And he gets a ground ball and a right side get over or a trick pickoff in a crucial situation. And is he going to execute it just like that starter is? And as coaches, sometimes we overlook that third string guy and he's and he's sitting there in the most important part of your season. And are you going to say, are you going to blame it on that guy? Or are you going to put it on your shoulders and say, hey, I've got to teach this guy just like – I coach that starter, that SEC player, that first round draft pick. I got to coach him in the same way. So it is a lot of pressure, but if when you look at it in that perspective and know that and coach your guys up, then showing up, showing up early, doing everything you can in the offseason to be the best you can possibly be, busting your tail in the weight room, busting your tail in the classroom, uh, doing the things pre practice, post practice, and recovery, eating the right thing. That's the expectation. The leadership piece of that is when you hold the players around you accountable to that standard. And that's what we're trying to teach our guys. It's really hard to go through a weight room setting, a weight room class, and 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 not only perform your lifts that you're supposed to do for that day and that phase, whatever phase you're in, preseason, postseason, or lead up or ramp up. It's tough for you to complete your own workout, but what's even tougher is making sure everybody around you is completing theirs. And and when we go through this in our leadership courses, that's the toughest piece. There's two toughest pieces. One is keeping up with that freshman and making sure he's doing the lifts that he's supposed to do. But also what it, what happens when that freshman doesn't come, he skips a couple of reps in the weight room. That confrontation piece that that older guy needs to have to that younger guy meeting him face to face and saying, Hey, you, you cheated our program today. And, and that's not the way we do things around here. We, we get the last out of the game. We, you know, you left three or four outs out there uh, today in the weight room because you didn't complete X, Y, Z. 
And once they confront the younger guy and hold that guy to the same standard in the right way, because now that can get ugly too. If a coach is not managing and leading that, that conversation could get a little bit ugly and that player could hold him accountable in the wrong way. So as coaches, we got to teach those players, those older guys, how to do it. And it means more when the player does it to the player. When a coach says it to a freshman or sophomore about, hey, we don't skip reps in the weight room, you're going to go run stadiums uh, because you skipped those reps. Or if a player kind of puts his arm around him like, hey, we're going to count on you, and this is my senior season that's coming up, and, and we're probably going to have to count on you, and I want you to be prepared. And I want you, I want to put you in a situation to have the success. And if you do, if you skip these reps over time, that's going to add up. And, and, and I'm going to see that at the end of our season that like, man, I should have held you accountable to the standard that's been set from all the guys that's played this game here at Oxford before me. And I was in your situation one time and I either came through or I failed or I had that pass ball as a cat, as a backup catcher when I got the opportunity and I don't want you to make the same mistake. So that is a huge part of our program uh, of going through that with the leaders of our team. And, and we kind of coach them. We're the resource. We're the coach. Like, hey, if you need help, I'll step in and, and save you. You know, like, and I try to be in those meetings with them. Uh, but I do like the older guy to kind of talk through that with the younger guy. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and having this conversation with me. Last. I think one of the most surprising things that uh, I think a coach will hear out of this whole thing. Lots of great stuff. But I think the most surprising thing is the line when you said that uh, when the flag football program was starting up, your wife, who's a coach's wife, yep. asked you, her husband, to do to, to add yep. another team to his coaching resume. Um, yeah. So I'll tell you what, like, I, I, I wish we had another hour or two. <laughs> we haven't even really got to the nuts and bolts of what we do uh, in August and September and, and walk that through. Like, that's one of the things that I'm looking, I'm got chill bumps right now thinking about the off season <laughs> and, and the things that we do, um, you know, the, the, the camp outs and the, and the iron jacket challenge that we do and the, the way we present that to the kids. And we, we got a, we got a celebration room in our locker room called the boom, boom room. And we just like our parents really make our program. And, and we as coaches allow them. Now, we guide them because sometimes a parent across the line, just like teenagers, they're going to get away with whatever they can get away with until, you know, they get caught. So mm-hmm. same thing with parents. So, you know, you give them responsibilities. You got to kind of keep your thumb on them a little bit. But for the most part, they got really, really good ideas. And, um, you know, in practice scheduling, I, I think our, our the way we run our – everything is, is li- as live as possible – and we try to put kids in game-type situations. We start practice with a runner on first and third with one out. And we play an inning. And then we go through our practice schedule. And then we finish practice the same way. With <laughs> And we call that, you know, I got this from Jeff Sherman, the zoo versus the jungle. The zoo is when you're in the batting cage or in the bullpen. And you can control the batter, the tempo. The jungle is when it's runners on first and third. There's one out and the game's tied in this last inning. Like, who you find out who your best players are during those jungle type practices. And the more you can get those play, you'll see so many kids struggle at first, but the more you put them in that first and third, nobody out games on the line situation, the more comfortable they become during the season. And, but if you just always talk through and walk through it and, and, and you tell, you tell the, you know, you yell out loud, Hey, third baseman, you're going to go home when the catcher throws the ball to say, you know, 
that's the zoo. That's when you're controlling the environment. It's when you're, it's when you got a fast runner at first, fast runner at third, and the best hitter in the state up the bat. What are we going to do right now to give us the best chance of not giving up a run or just giving up one run and not making it terrible and giving up a big inning, a three run inning. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fired up about uh, Lance and Godspeed coming and testing us. Um, I'm fired up about our leadership meetings that are coming up uh, in the off season. Um, fired up about our Iron Jacket Challenge. Uh, that's another thing that I got from Butch. Up in, and see, a, a lot of the way we teach hitting and and, and the way our pitchers develop and, and the off season, the leadership stuff. None of this are things that I did when I first started coaching. I got them from podcasts like this, from coaches listening to other coaches. And another thing, like call me, email me, private message me on social media, and I will share everything that we do. And I've done this before in clinics. Like the way we – like we've given up – we gave up zero stolen bases from second to third this year because of something I got from uh, Jerry Weinstein from the Colorado Rockies. Um, just one little simple thing. And I tell people how we do it, and and it's the way you practice and apply it, and you're like, well, you're giving up our secrets. Well, and I was trying to grow the game, make it a better, because if you're going to be better against us, that makes us step up our game. So little, just little conversations like that that can help your program be better. Email me, text me, call me. I'll share our practice schedules. I'll share how we run our booster club, how our parents are involved. I'll share the Iron Jacket Challenge is, a, is an event that we do at the, the third Wednesday, the third Wednesday in January every year, our players run this obstacle course. There's 21 events simulating the outs in a game. Some are hard, some are easy. Um, when the iron jacket challenge, you know, iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. Um, and uh, you know, the top 10 get t-shirts only if everybody finishes. So it's a little bit team oriented, but it's also individual oriented. It's very similar to a game, a team, you know, it's individually based, but also, it takes a team to win, uh, you know, the the championship and just the camp out, the, the the team building activities that we do at our camp out, getting the dads involved, sitting around the campfire, uh, talking about our goals and our season and what we can bring to the table, revealing our one word focus, burying our goals under home plate, um, you know, w- begin the season with an ending in mind. And even if you have a 500 season and don't make the playoffs, when kids cry when it's your last game and parents come out on the field and take pictures and cry and hug, and no matter if you win your last game or you go 500 and don't make the playoffs, that's what we can what, – what can these kids learn in our program for the next four years that they can carry on with them for the next 60 years of life? You know, at the end of the day, uh, when my life has ended here on earth, and I have that conversation conversation with my Lord and Savior, and he goes, Wes, what did you do with those 600 kids that I sent you? How did you help prepare them? Did you only care about the win and loss, or did you care about what they did the next 60 years in life? And that affects generations from generations from generations now um, down the road is, is how well we can teach those guys to become better men, better leaders, and better leaders of other men uh, to carry on down the road. And what in 2060 – what type of program is Oxford baseball going to be? And that'll be the legacy that our players and our coaches leave. Um, is it going to continue to get better or is it just going to continue to get worse or is it just going to stay the same? So we're in the business of, of getting better each and every day, which in turn adds up to a career's time. And, and, and I, hopefully their grandkids are in a much better position than we are, uh, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 years from down the road.
Uh, again, appreciate you so much. And I, I think that's one of the best things. All sports, all coaches are awesome, right? Baseball coaches in particular. Like I've, I've said before, like I feel like if you ask someone for their signs, they'd probably give them to you in baseball because people just yeah. are so we're, – we're just so about advancing the game, even if it means that it might help another team beat us. Like it just – like you said, it, it helps us all sharpen each other and we get better at it. I think that's – it's one of the coolest parts about the baseball coaching community. So I'll toss your uh, like contact info down in the show notes. So if people listening want to get a hold of you, I guarantee if, you, if someone yeah. sends you a message and asks you for your signs, you'd probably give them to them. So uh, yeah. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on with me today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I uh, I went over to, to Mississippi State and watched their practice in 2014, and it was the absolute best practice I've mm-hmm. ever witnessed. And I came back and brought it to our program, and it didn't work the very first time we did it. But then we revamped it, and we set it, and now we incorporate it just about every day in our practice schedule. And just little things like that that made me a better coach, now I'm willing to, to share that. And you go to the ABCA, the national convention. I, I've coached football, and I went to football national conventions. And I love football just as well as the next man. I live in the southeast. I live in Alabama, so how could you not, right? But <laughs> – you go to these baseball coaches clinics and coaches are standing up in a corner out loud, yelling out, you know, how to throw the cutter. Uh, you go to a football convention and everybody's whispering in the corner on how to stop the wing tee, you know? So <laughs> like you said, baseball yeah. coaches are willing to share the game and grow the game. Cause at the end of the day, we're looking for, we're trying to help these young kids be the best players and, 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 and be, be selected on a USA national team and go play for a gold medal. Uh, be the MVP of the All-Star Game, be the MVP of the World Series, or get the game start in the World Series. Uh, be a Hall of Famer. Um, and we have to be Hall of Fame coaches on a day-to-day basis in order to give those kids a chance to be that gold medal winner, to be that Hall of Famer in the big leagues. All right, Wes. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate you so much. I hope you have a good one and, and good luck as you head into the, the next exciting part, which is the offseason, which is a baseball coach is almost as fun as the regular season is anyway. So thanks again, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, Max, for doing what you do to share and grow the game. And I look forward to building relationships with not only you, but all the coaches around the country that are able to hear this podcast. And once again, congratulations to Wes on his promotion to Oxford High School Supervisor of Safety Operations and Athletics. There's no doubt he'll help usher the school into a whole new level of amazing. And just thank you to him for his 18 years of service as the head baseball coach there at Oxford. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter, or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should do it. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Also, don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit the subscribe button. Most importantly, though, if you found any value from this thing, share it with somebody. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. And I truly mean that. The more people that listen to this, the more people contact me and say, hey, I've got a coach who would be great on this show. And so literally, the, the more you share this thing, the more we're growing it and the better we're all getting. I can't do it without you. Huge fist bump to Coach Brooks for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode. And of course, to you for clicking that play button, because without you, we're going to do this thing. So if you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, or is it X now? I'm, re- I'm not really sure how to say it yet, but whatever it is, Twitter or X, follow me at Mr. Max Price. And you can reach me via email at max 
at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.